we thought um, that it would be so appropriate to have a dedication service on Thanksgiving Sunday. And so uh, thanks again for coming, and thanks again to uh, Craig and Wendy Burton. Craig is our district superintendent. Uh, the office is in Coburg, and he is our district leader, and he's, he's doing a great job uh, with this. I was thinking this morning, actually, how long we were going to be in here. A long time. I don't even know how long, but uh, we go way back to shenanigans at Lakeshore Camp back in the summer. Probably more my shenanigans than yours. That's probably true. <laughs> but anyway, it's honestly, sincerely, it's really great to have you guys here. Happy Thanksgiving to thank you, Swan up, and uh, share with us. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. It is a real delight and joy for Wendy and I to be here on such a very special and very happy morning. Pastor Jeff and Helen, I'm going to ask you to come back up here, would you, just for a moment? I realized that um, the grand opening weekend was a couple of weeks ago, and uh, at that time, you received a number of different uh, notes of congratulations and plaques and various other dignitaries were here, and very appropriately so. This is a little different today. It's our family, a church family, our Pentecostal family. Uh, if you will, as we celebrate the commissioning and dedication of, of this beautiful, I mean beautiful, new building. I noticed in the scripture uh, that you referenced there, see to it that the work of the temple is done correctly. And you know, friends, I have opportunity in my travels to visit a lot of church buildings, and I can see that you've done a lot of things correctly here. <laughs> my goodness, the attention to details, the washrooms are like a hotel. <laughs> And, and, you know, um, if I may comment on the sound and how vibrant and crisp, Pastor Jeff's just up here chatting like you were sitting in his living room and you hear every inhalation, don't you? It's amazing. And I just, I see all that you've done to make this facility a beautiful place to worship the Lord. As you said a moment ago, the church is, is all of us as we go out into, into the community, into the world. But we need a beautiful facility. We need a place to meet. And so today we'll, we'll dedicate the, uh, the facility. And thank you for the privilege of uh, being a part of that. If I may, though, uh, we give God the glory at times like this. But I think, friends, there's also a place for honoring leadership. Pastor Jeff and Helen have been thanking everybody else for the last number of weeks for all of their dedication and hard work and selfless sacrifice. But I happen to know that you two are uh, actually very capable leaders and that you have carried the weight of duty and responsibility for many, many years. And I do recall some of the circumstances that we were walking through as a church family prior even to your arrival, times of transition, some of the challenges, things related to the other facility and property and the sale of another piece of property. And yes, we give God the glory. But how many know it takes a really good negotiator to pull all of the things together that need to be done? And with the help of the Lord and the team around you, I realize your, your board members and leadership, uh, the church family, everybody has pulled together around you as well. But um, I was just sitting here. It's interesting you referred to our days as uh, young people around Lakeshore Camp because <laughs> Pastor Jeff, boy, he could throw a mean rock. I'm telling you, and I won't tell you what he was aiming at, but he was, he was deadly accurate. Let's just leave it there. But, you know, to see the leadership giftings develop and nurture in, uh, in your lives, if I may, and to say that you are very much a gift to the work of the Lord, the body of Christ, and certainly Schofield Pentecostal Church. So this certificate says, congratulations, Pastor Jeff and Helen Laird and the Stouffville Pentecostal Church family on the dedication of your new church building to the glory of God, Sunday, October 7th, 2018. Now, do you love your pastor and his wife? Let's show them how much we love them and appreciate them. God bless you. God bless you, man. You're welcome. We'll let uh, the Instagram queen get a picture here. Here we go. Show them one more time how much you love them, would you? God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Amen.
Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to open with me to a story that I think is familiar to many, not to all perhaps, but to many, and it's found in Luke chapter 19. The story of a man named Zacchaeus and his interactions with Jesus. So maybe you turn there with me in your Bible or find it on your phone, however you're referencing God's Word today. I think we also will have uh, the Scriptures available here on the screen. I would like you to think with me about your life, your family, your church, your neighborhood, your friends, your school, your place of work, perhaps your place of business, and consider all of those elements in, in your world and uh, consider them as being represented by a circle. You have a circle, I have a circle, and uh, within those circles are people, places, circumstances with which we're most familiar. Sometimes my circle and your circle might overlap. We might have common people that we know or common places that we go. For example, being here this morning at, uh, at SBC, that's an overlapping point for us. So these things do happen, but generally speaking, your influence, your circle, my influence, my circle, they're very personal to us. They're unique to us. And inside of those circles is a comfort level. These circles contain people and places and things that are usual for us and customary. And if it's, it, like if we're not, really uh, deliberate, perhaps, or careful, I would suggest to you that it's possible to live your whole day and not ever step outside of your, your comfort circle, your comfort zone. You might even go um, all week or perhaps even all year and function inside that comfortable place. Our culture, our society has actually encouraged us to nurture these circles. You and I have things that we believe in and do and which are comfortable for us, and we live in a free country, thank the Lord. Everybody has their rights. Everybody has their privileges, and those are important, absolutely. But there is a, it's almost a cocooning effect that has taken place where people live their lives inside their own little comfort zones. And I'll tell you what, here's the deal. I'll leave you alone and you leave me alone and we'll all just be Canadians. How's that? You go about your day and I'll go about my day. Good fences make good neighbors. Nice to see you. Don't tell me what to do. Don't try and influence my life. I'll let you know if I'd like to have your opinion. We live our lives in comfort zones, and we rarely deviate from those circles. I would like you to just think with me this morning about the implications of that sociological phenomenon, if you will, the implications when it comes to sharing our faith and telling other people about Jesus. Because as followers of Jesus, we have received a great commission, and it is that we would go into all the world and make disciples, and uh, that we would actively go, and that we would open our mouths, and that we would live our lives in front of other people. We would interact with them. We would seek them out. We would befriend them. We would share with them the reason for the hope that we have within us. We would be salt and we would be light. That's what Jesus asked us to do. But think about those circles for a moment, because as Christian people who live in perhaps a Christian home and are surrounded by Christian friends and who attend a Christian church, uh, it may be that we have fewer and fewer secular people, people who are not yet followers of Jesus, that we really have opportunity to interact with, and we can become insulated from them. We can become isolated from them. Circles of influence, comfort zones, we all have them. 
You know, I actually know some people who have perfected their Christian lives to the point where they can actually function 100% without ever having to talk to a non-Christian. They've worked hard at it. I don't know if they intentionally realize the implications of what they've done by insulating themselves this way. Much of our effort in terms of reaching the lost is concentrated on bringing people into places where we are comfortable. Step into my world for a little bit. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me introduce you to my Christian friends and come to my Christian home and my Christian church. If you just come into where I'm most comfortable and where we do things and say things and sing where I really feel the best, you, I'm sure, would discover that Jesus is wonderful and that you should follow him. The only problem with that philosophy is that Jesus said, I actually want you to go into all the world and make disciples. I thank the Lord that we can attract and draw and welcome. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But that's actually secondary to the primary calling, which is to go out into our world, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, or perhaps to the uttermost ends of the world. I would like you to consider with me for a few moments the example of Jesus. Jesus in Luke chapter 19. In this story, we see Jesus modeling something that I need to take to heart. And I would submit to you as well today. Jesus interacts with this man named Zacchaeus, and he doesn't insist that Zacchaeus come into his world. No, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I've got news for you. I'm going to step into your world today. I'm going to step into your life because I perceive in you an interest in truth. Jesus leaves his comfort zone and steps into Zacchaeus's comfort zone. Let's call it the Zacchaeus zone, if you will. So as followers of Jesus, spirit-filled people gathering this morning on a beautiful, in a beautiful facility on a very happy day, and I really think it's very special that it's Thanksgiving weekend and that we can, with Thanksgiving in our hearts, dedicate and commission this beautiful building to the Lord. Here's the question that I have for you. Friends, are we willing to move beyond where we are comfortable in order to meet with people where they are comfortable so that we can reach them for Jesus? In your community, in your office, in your school, are you willing to move beyond the usual, customary, familiar place? Are you willing to let the Lord stretch you? Take a Take a risk. Take a step of faith. Intentionally stepping into the life of a person who would never hear about Jesus unless you and I went to them. Luke chapter 19. Have you got it? The first 10 verses I'm reading from the New International Version. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this notice, this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, 
in this story, we read that Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem, and he's on his way up to Calvary, by the way. He's making his way to the culmination of his life and ministry where he will die on the cross for the sins of the world. Verse 28, just a few verses later in this same chapter, we read of his triumphal entry to the cries of Hosanna of the people. So this is where Jesus is going as he's traveling. Notice he's not staying in Jericho, he's traveling through. In the previous chapter, chapter 18, he's had a very interesting discussion with a rich young ruler, a young man who was very wealthy and had great influence, and uh, he was not willing to place his faith and confidence in Jesus over all of his earthly wealth and treasure and influence, and so he went away very discouraged because he was not able to put Jesus first. He's on, let's say, the higher end of the social economic scale. Then just a few verses before what I just read to you, at the last part of the 18th chapter, Jesus has met a, a very poor man who was blind. He's, uh, he's called a beggar. And uh, he's seated outside of the gates of Jericho. And as Jesus is coming along into the city, this blind man places his faith and confidence in Jesus, cries out to him. He heard of him, called out and asked for a healing. And it's a great story of how Jesus healed this blind man, this poor man. And uh, the scriptures say that he kind of joined the entourage as they're making their way into Jericho. So we've got people at the let's say, the high end of the social economic strata, and then others at the lower end who are all hearing about the good news of the gospel and uh, receiving grace and mercy in, uh, in some cases. A real crowd is gathering as Jesus enters into the city of Jericho. Jericho was a very busy place. It was a border town. It was a strategic place. People were on their way up to Jerusalem, and they would often stop and rest in Jericho. It would be another six hours all uphill, and the road was dirty and dangerous from Jericho to Jerusalem. This border town was the place where the Romans would uh, exercise customs and duty for people who were bringing possessions and goods into that part of the empire. Zacchaeus is stationed here in Jericho. He himself is a Jewish person who is working for the Romans, collecting a hated tax from his fellow Jewish people, a tax that would be sent to the hated Romans. So you get in the picture of why Zacchaeus wasn't everybody's favorite person. Zacchaeus was like a modern-day Canada Border Services agent. And we've all had opportunity, I'm sure, to interact with these good people as we're coming or going from the borders of our, of our country. Zacchaeus was hated because he cheated the people and he worked for the Romans. The way it worked was, yes, Rome wanted their taxes. They wanted their customs. But if the agent could extract more than was necessary, he got to keep the extra. Rome didn't care as long as they got their cut, and it wasn't quite like that TV program we're watching these days, you know, the border services show where they're going through the luggage and everything's fair and square and worked out according to the, the laws of the land. No, Zacchaeus had the privilege of extracting as much as he could get his dirty hands on, and then he would give Rome their cut, and he would keep, he would keep the extra. People hated Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a traitor. Zacchaeus was a cheater. Zacchaeus was a turncoat. They had no use for Zacchaeus. But interestingly to Jesus, Zacchaeus was simply a man who was lost in his sin and who needed to be forgiven. Jesus doesn't place a grading system up against Zacchaeus as he interacts with him. He simply sees him as lost. Think about secular people that you know. Uh, 
secular meaning people who do not yet know Jesus as personal Savior. Because Jesus died for them just like he died for Christian people, followers. Jesus died for all. He died for the world. Good people, bad people, happy people, bad people, pleasant people, ugly people. Jesus died for all. Think about secular people that you know. Maybe they're nice. Maybe they're not so nice. Maybe they're hardworking. Maybe they're honest. Maybe not. I don't know. But we tend to put these labels on folks. I'd like you to just notice with me that Jesus doesn't see people as nice and not so nice. He simply sees them as lost or found. And this morning, our challenge, I think, is to look around us at those that we interact with and to see them as Jesus would see them. He will, in a few verses, die on the cross of Calvary for all people. Thank God he died for you and for me, and thank God he died for people who do not yet know him as their personal Lord and Savior. So think about those circles with me again, will you? Those circles of influence, those comfort zones that we all have. If I stay inside my circle, how will my lost neighbor ever hear about Jesus? If I stay inside my safe circle, how will my lost coworker or merchant or neighboring person in the community that I have opportunity to meet and talk to, how will they ever really hear about the love of God if we just say, now hang on a second, the rules of this are that we stay at arm's length and we never really get to know each other. See, Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples, not just preach the gospel to people. That's part of it, sharing the good news. But when you make a disciple, you actually teach and train and equip somebody. You ultimately get them into a baptismal tank. <laughs> and they say, I so love Jesus and I so understand the gospel and I'm willing to submit myself and to demonstrate that publicly to others. Making disciples requires engagement. It requires involvement. It requires some friendship. In this story, Zacchaeus has one very notable quality that I'd like you to notice. I'd like you to notice that he is a man who is curious. He's curious. His curiosity is what gets the best of him as he will ultimately run and climb up into a sycamore fig tree. Perhaps he's heard of Jesus and Jesus' reputation has preceded him. That would be quite likely because even the the poor blind beggar outside of Jericho seems to have heard of Jesus. Jesus has been teaching and ministering in the area for some three years. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and we know that his crucifixion will take place about three years after the beginning of his earthly ministry. So quite possible that Zacchaeus knew of Jesus' reputation. He's certainly aware of the commotion outside of the city. There's a report that the blind beggar that we've all been stepping over to get in and out of the city for years, apparently this man has been healed, if you can believe it. This is what we're being told. People are saying that he is now healed and that Jesus had something to do with it. A crowd of people is gathering. There's an entourage working its way through Jericho somehow Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus and some of the neat things he does. Could it be? I mean, could it be true? I mean, could it be true? What if it's true? What if it's not true? Well, people say these things about Jesus. I just, I just wonder. Maybe Zacchaeus thought to himself, if I could get a good look at him, I'd be able to form a better opinion. If I could just see him with my own two eyes, if I could just experience him personally, Verse 4 says that being a, a short man, he couldn't see past the crowd. Got the picture? So in verse 4, he runs ahead of the crowd and climbs up into a fig tree. Fig trees have these big, long uh, branches, these strong, low-hanging branches, and uh, this, this tree will provide Zacchaeus with a perfect vantage point to privately, secretly, be able to peer down and get a good long look at Jesus. 
he does some very unusual things because he's curious. One, he runs in the heat of the day. He's a wealthy, dignified government official. He runs in the heat of the day. They didn't do that usually. He climbed up into a sycamore fig tree. I mean, I'm sure he had a matter of pride about him. And being a short man, everybody would realize, well, the reason you're up in the tree is you can't see anything. So they mocked Zacchaeus. They hated Zacchaeus. The last thing he wanted was to be seen in the tree. He's trying to be discreet. He is hiding among the figs. But he wants to get a good look, you see, at Jesus. Friends, I would submit to you that there are thousands of people in the town of Scoville, and we pass them every day, and these people are curious, just like Zacchaeus is curious. They've heard about Jesus. Could it, I mean, could it be? Could it be that Jesus really is God, the Son of God? Could it be that he really was born in Bethlehem's manger, lived a perfect sinless life, and died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for the sins of the world, and that he was ascended to the right hand of the Father, poured out his Holy Spirit, and he wants to have a relationship with me? I mean, come on. Could it be? If I could just, boy, if I could just get a good look at him. God, if you're really there. Send a lightning bolt right now so I know you exist. How many people have prayed a prayer like that? They, they just want to experience him somehow. If I, could just, if I could just experience you, then I would believe. People are curious, friends. They're curious about heaven. They're curious about what happens after death. They're curious about spiritual things. They're searching. They really do want to know the truth. I, I submit to you, people today are very, very curious. And this image of Zacchaeus running and climbing and hiding, I really think it represents the culture of our day in 2018. Notice what Jesus does as he moves along the street. His actions are kind, but, um, but they're very deliberate. And they're designed to move Zacchaeus from being curious about Jesus to actually confessing Jesus as his Lord, who will die on the cross as his Savior. From curiosity to confession. In order to do that, Jesus is willing to step out of his comfortable place so he can bring Zacchaeus over to the place of salvation. And witness. Jesus became involved with the man. Jesus did something radical when he, you ready for this? This is profound. He spoke to him. <laughs> wow. He opened his mouth and he talked to somebody else. Always putting our head down and walking and not sure if you should interact with somebody. Jesus interacted. He took a personal interest in him. And Jesus even went, he went into his home, went to the home of a sinner. Three quick things before we conclude this morning to shape this message. Number one, please notice, Jesus understood the interest that Zacchaeus had in spiritual things. Please notice the interest in spiritual things. Jesus perceived it. He's passing through Jericho with this group of people following him. There's another group of people in Jericho welcoming him. There is a crowd. One of them is the former blind beggar from chapter 18. This man is jumping and leaping and praising God, and he's looking all around because for the first time, he can see. Imagine the joy that this man had, the gladness in his heart. The scriptures don't tell us, but I wonder if the blind guy actually is the first one who saw Zacchaeus up in the tree. He might have gone, hey, Jesus, get a load of this. Jesus stopped in the street. He looked up and noticed that he spoke Zacchaeus' name. Did you notice that? Called him by name. Personally engaged with him. Took an interest in the man. Nobody else 
perhaps knew Zacchaeus was up in the tree, but Jesus did. He perceived the interest, and Jesus stopped everything and said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down immediately. I am going to your home, and we are going to get connected. Isn't that beautiful? See the model? See what Jesus did? See his example to us? A dishonest, wealthy government official, a traitor in the minds of his fellow Jews, a proud man, is now being called out publicly by Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your comfort space. I'm moving into your zone. I can just imagine the crowd was snickering and giggling as Zacchaeus climbed down out of the tree. Just imagine. But then there's also a collective gasp as the people hear Jesus say, I'm going to stay in the house of a sinner. How many know crowds are fickle? One minute the crowd thinks you're wonderful, next minute the crowd thinks you're a ghost. Crowds are fickle. You know, a study of Jesus and the crowd would be a really interesting sermon someday. Because Jesus didn't only minister to crowds. Oh, my goodness. He often sought out individuals. And he would spend time with men and women and speak to them personally about their interests and their concerns and their thoughts. Friends, how in tune are you and I with the spiritual interests of people? How aware are we of their curiosities? Are we spiritually perceptive? And may the Lord help us to slow down long enough to perhaps have a conversation with somebody about something that matters to them and perhaps draw into a relationship and a friendship and a conversation. Jesus perceived that Zacchaeus had an interest. Secondly, Jesus, notice, is the one who took the initiative. He's the one who stopped. He's the one who spoke. He's the one who said, by the way, I'm inviting myself into your home. Jesus did all those things. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to break out of his comfort zone. No, no. Jesus took the initiative. And when the people saw this, they began to mutter. Notice verse 7. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. This word mutter, or in the King James Version, murmur, in the original language, the original text, it's, um, it's a group event. It's possible, I suppose, in the English language for me to mutter under my breath, mutter away at something personally. But that's not the context of what's happening here. It really is that the people begin to murmur and mutter among themselves. It's gossip is what's going on. The people are, are nudging each other and pointing and saying, get a load of this. Get a load of what Jesus is doing. Did you hear about what Jesus is doing? Did you hear about where he's going? You know Zacchaeus, the guy that rips us off all the time? Did you hear that Jesus is going to his house? Mutter, mutter, murmur, murmur. They are very, very critical of Jesus. They would perceive that Jesus has no business stepping out of his comfort zone. He needs to wait for Zacchaeus to get his act right, get his life figured out before Jesus should be stepping into his home. There's this pious, dare I say, arrogance about this people who are actually critical of Jesus. When he's more concerned about Zacchaeus going to a lost eternity, going to hell, and they're concerned about some religious rules and regulations that they think Jesus needs to be following. Notice with me, Jesus takes the initiative. He's willing to go into an uncomfortable place for the sake of someone who needs to hear the truth. Jesus acts. Jesus steps out. 
if you think about it, Jesus always does this. He's the one who initiates a conversation with a woman by a well. He's the one who uh, initiated relationship with his own disciples as he spoke out and called out and invited them into relationship with him. He initiated the relationship with a crippled man in Bethsaida and the blind man at the pool of Siloam. And if you think about it for a moment, he's the one who initiated relationship with you and me. Now, in Luke 19, he's initiating relationship with a short man hanging out of a sycamore fig tree. Time after time after time, Jesus took that kind of initiative. Jesus stepped out. Jesus interacted with other people. Friends, please notice with me this morning, this is Jesus' example to us. This is the model for reaching out reaching others. It's being willing to live our lives outside of our comfort zone. Not compromising godly truth, not compromising biblical values, not setting aside standards of holiness. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about living our lives before men and women in such a way that they see that there's a hope in us, something that they don't have. And over time, they'd be able to say, you know, there's something about you and I can't put my finger on it, but I've watched you. I've watched you go through this, that, and the next thing. And I see the way you talk. I see the way you act. And I just wondered if you could maybe share with me a little bit about who you are and maybe even what Jesus means to you. See, Jesus understood that there was an interest. Jesus took the initiative. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to do it. I mean, you could say Zacchaeus climbed a tree, but he wasn't looking to be singled out. Thirdly and finally, Jesus befriended this man. Jesus became his friend. Jesus made friends with a sinner, a man that everybody else hated and despised. Jesus said, well, I'd like to be your friend. Do you have a secular friend? Are, are you willing to step outside of your circle and to actually spend time with and interact with and go into the home of someone who is not a Christian person. You know, one of the things that happens when you do this is you can get very uncomfortable because people live a certain way, they do certain things, they talk a certain way, they act a certain way, and we go, my goodness, wow. I spent about half an hour this week with a gentleman who runs a little uh, establishment not too far from me, and I go in and I have a look. He's a modern-day picker, Pastor Jeff. He's not an American picker. I guess he's a Canadian picker. He's a picker. And he collects things from estate sales and homes, and he's got this great big barn full of all these really interesting things. And when I'm looking for a break, I kind of go and I wander around. And I, I talk to him. I talk to him. And get him, get him talking to me about life in general. And my goodness, he's got a limited vocabulary, but it includes a lot of letters that have only words with only four letters in them. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of ways you could have said that without using three expletives in that sentence. Every once in a while, I'll talk about, you know, being in a church or traveling to a, a dedication service, or I, I drop little Christian hints to just sort of point out to him that I'm a Christian. And uh, maybe even that I'm involved in ministry as a pastor. And I don't stare at him or criticize him. I just let him talk. You should have heard him when we got talking about the Leafs. My goodness. <laughs> I let him talk. And I go in there deliberately. Yeah, he's got some interesting stuff. But a lot of it's just. I go in there because I, I want to be a friend to this man. And to get to know him a little bit. And I just believe one of these days. One of these days, we're going to be able to get into a conversation that's a lot more meaningful than the junk he has in his barn. Jesus befriended Zacchaeus. 
do you and I have secular, non-Christian friends? Verse 6, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly into his home. You know, may the Lord help us to never forget the joy and gladness that accompanies finding Jesus for the first time. Remember how joyful and happy you and I were when we first came to faith, when we first realized that we were no longer condemned to a lost eternity, that there now really was purpose in life, now our creator, we're in relationship with him, and we finally understand the real meaning of life. You talk about thanksgiving. I mean, when you really get that and understand that, remember in the early days, Scriptures talk about Zacchaeus having this joy and this gladness. There's a dramatic change in the man's life. In verse 8, he offers to make restitution to all the people that he's ripped off over the years in his long and illustrious career as a tax collector. He said to Jesus, immediately I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and I will agree to pay back four times the amount to anybody that I've cheated. Notice the change of heart. Why four times? It's interesting, and you can look at this maybe in your devotional time. Exodus chapter 22 in the Mosaic Law. The law of Moses required a person to pay back four times the amount if they stole from somebody else. Four times the amount. Interesting to me that Zacchaeus knew that and said, Hey, Jesus, hey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay back four times the amount. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't completely ignorant of spiritual things. He wasn't completely ignorant of the law and the truth. He was a Jewish person working and living among Jewish people. He'd just chosen to live his life a certain way. Jesus said in verse number 9 today, salvation has come to this house. This house. Isn't that great? Yes to Zacchaeus, but a whole home has been impacted by the grace and mercy of God here. And then verse number 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And so, friends, on a morning when we're about to dedicate a beautiful new facility to the glory of God, let's be reminded that this beautiful building is but a tool to assist us and help us in the great mission we all share. Lord, we call it a co-mission. Yes, Jesus commissioned us, but it's a co mission. We all share it. We go out into our city, into our country, into our world, and we act like and talk like Jesus. Salt and light. And yes, bring them back in here and celebrate and enjoy all that God has blessed you with. Absolutely. And Pastor Jeff, perhaps in time there'll be expansion plans for this new facility as well. Because there's a commandment to come together, to gather together, to worship together, to be trained and equipped together. But friends, let's never forget, the gospel is not build a beautiful building and then sit back. Remember the theology that said, if you build it, they will come? Those days are long gone. And the step from Sandiford up into this building is a huge step for secular people. In fact, they won't come. They don't understand who we are, what we do, how we talk, what we sing. It makes no sense to them. This isn't only a post-Christian nation. Somebody said the other day it's a de-Christian nation. In other words, people have said, I've had it up to here with church and faith and God. I tried that, and it didn't work for me. So I don't want to have anything to do with that. Like, friends, we're living in a desperate day, a day when people need to see the authentic difference that a living God can make in their lives. Amen. And you and I bear that duty and that responsibility. So, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. Leave your comfortable place with thanksgiving in your heart for all that God is and has done for you. Leave it behind you and make yourself uncomfortable. Take a risk. Take a step of faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart as you do so. And we don't do this in our own power, in our own ingenuity, in our own strength. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes, we must go. But before we go, we must wait on the power of the Spirit to empower us, to help us, to strengthen us, that the gifts of the Spirit might operate in and through our lives as we're standing talking to a godless person and the Spirit of God is dropping thoughts and ideas into your heart and into your mind, giving you words to say that you didn't memorize. See, the work of the Spirit in that person's life is drawing them to Jesus and the same Spirit of God can put you and I in their life, bringing us together for kingdom impact. Just think about your journey. Just think about the things the Lord did, the way you were drawn in the power of the Spirit, the people in your life who were in the right place at the right time, who said the right things in the right way, so that you and I could finally acknowledge and meet Jesus. So friends, are you available? Are you willing? It takes some courage, and possibly, possibly, there will be some people in the crowd who might have a few comments. Did you hear about where Pastor Jeff was last night? Remember Jesus' example. He went to some places that nobody else would go. He boldly went where no man had gone before. How's that? Stand with me, would you please? Helen, I don't know if you've got some dedication music in your heart this morning, do you? Do you have some heavenly strings or something that you could play that would set the tone for us as we begin to turn our hearts toward uh, a ceremony of, of dedication? On the screens, there is a responsive reading that I would like to invite you to um, participate in with me and You'll know your part. It says leader and people, just to keep it straight. And so I'll read a portion. You'll read a portion. We'll do it collectively. And I'd like you to do it with your uh, head held high, your shoulders thrown back with a loud voice to the glory of God for what he's accomplished in and through his people. This is a beautiful facility in a strategic location. Amen? My goodness on the key intersection of the new Stouffville, with thanksgiving for the past, the heritage, the history. We build on that, we draw on that, but how many know this is about tomorrow? This is about the future. This is about being positioned geographically, strategically, and spiritually for maximum, maximum impact. Having been challenged by the hand of the Lord and enabled by his grace and power to build this house of worship to be used for the glory of his name, we now dedicate this facility to him, to the glory of God our Father, from whom comes every good and perfect gift. For the faith, vision, and sacrifice of the people who saw the potential of this building, for the corporate worship of God, our Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our comforter and guide. For the continued study, preaching, and teaching of the Bible, God's infallible word. As a place where the hurting can be healed, Lost souls will find hope. Deliverance comes for those in bondage. Christians can be strengthened in their faith and those who are discouraged will be refreshed. For the guiding of children in the Christian faith, the reaching of young people, and the enrichment of the home and the community, In the living out of the gospel in this community, in this 
country and through missionary endeavors throughout the world. May no discord or note of strife ever be heard within these walls. No unholy spirit of pride or worldliness find a place here. May God graciously use this physical facility, our offering of a building for use in his name. May every person who sacrificed to make this facility possible be blessed through their giving. May many find Christ in this place, experience the fullness of baptism in the Holy Spirit, and be set free by the power of the blood of Jesus. Let it be a place where men and women, students and children are called into service of God's great kingdom and make an impact around the world until the day of Christ's return. To the glory of God, our Father, by whose favor we have obtained this facility, to the honor of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God and our Savior, to the praise of the Holy Spirit, source of light and life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I affirm that this house be consecrated to the worship and service of Almighty God, to whom be the glory and majesty, dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless our coming in and our going out from this time and forevermore. Amen. Father in heaven, we stand collectively as a church family today on Thanksgiving weekend, and our hearts are filled with gratitude. Lord God, we pray that the days to come would be greater than the days that have passed. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed continue to pour out your spirit into our hearts and lives over this community, over this region. Oh, God, help our nation. God, keep our land, we pray. And Lord, even to the ends of the earth, as you have done in the past, would you continue to do as you put your hand on the lives of precious men and women, students and children, Lord, that you have set apart for kingdom purpose. Lord, whether that be right here at home or whether that be in some far away place, I thank you that your mission stands. I thank you that the empowerment of the Spirit is real. I thank you, Lord, that you desire to use each and every one of us each and every day for maximum kingdom effectiveness. And so, Lord, on this very, very happy day, we now in turn dedicate ourselves to you. And we are reminded, Lord, of our responsibility, not only to come in, but more importantly, Lord, to go out and to make disciples in the name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Give the Lord a clap offering this morning. God bless you.